Welcome to the Birding Life Podcast. My name is Adam, and I'm your host on the podcast where we discover birds and the birders that pursue them. The Birding Life is proud to be associated with Shrobsky Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars, and spotting scopes, as well as the Bird Lesser bird logging app, Spot, Plot, Play a Part. Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. The Birding Life is a lot more than just a podcast. It's a multi-platform resource to connect birders with each other, amazing locations, the best resources, and obviously, where to find amazing birds. Head on over to our website, www.thebirdinglife.com, and be sure to sign up to our newsletter on the site so you do not miss out on any of the exciting things that are coming up. Be sure to follow this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to it on, and please take some time to rate and comment on it. So this is episode 27 of the podcast and in this episode I chat to James Rawdon all about bird ringing or as our overseas listeners call it, bird banding. I just want to apologize for the poor audio quality in this episode. We recorded this outside, there was a strong wind and a noisy power line overhead but I feel that the content is great and worth a listen. So without further ado, here's the interview with James. So yeah, James, bumped into you at Cumberland and we came here to do some YouTube stuff with the, the guys from Cumberland and just bumped into you, it's all just good to have a chat to you, saw you doing ringing, had all the like, really cool equipment and that type of thing. We thought you actually had to do our COVID test, we were a little bit worried when we arrived. <laughs> but yeah, so it's a little bit, a little bit for those who are listening, it's a little bit windy. This is the first time we are doing a, a live on the field um, podcast episode, so I'm really excited about this and that's also going to be going on YouTube. So James, this before we talk about the ringing, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? And I'm always interested in why birds, how did you get into birds? I mean, these are, you know, everyone like, likes, like we talk about the sexy animals, lions and cheetahs and that. Why birds? What made you interested in birds? Uh, well, it's funny you say that the lions and the cheetahs and things. My background was in wildlife. Um, I studied zoology at the University of Natal in Denmarksburg. And from there went up and did guiding in Malamala and then up with all the safaris in Botswana for six years. And there did some studies on the lines um, and then eventually decided to you know settle down start a family and left the bush and then missed the whole outdoors and the research and um, decided to try and find something closer to home that we could do and the bird ringing I started um, joining a guide out of Durban um, Garth Aston and we would uh, ring once a month or so and then he trained me over I'd say one and a half to two years um, to do the bird ringing and that's sort of it's wonderful to get out takes you to amazing places meet like-minded people and yeah and that's how I've always done birding right from teenager um, so yeah birds was just a natural way to go and something I could do close to, close to home with the kids um, yeah so what's your earliest birding memory what was the what is that moment that 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 hooked you as a birder you know there might was there was there a defining moment or was it just something that happened what you know what yeah, what are some memories can, from growing up as a birder i can probably remember it at about 13 years of age um in salt rock in natal um walking to a friend's house when it before it was all built up and seeing this beautiful little bright yellow and green bird a little bean tip that's awesome. and that stuck out in the memories and i think from then i always just paid attention to what was around and onto a pair of binoculars and so it, it grew from there and um, your any favourite birds? Um, gosh, difficult one. I think it's um, 
you know the raptors and owls are always special and but i think the ringing has opened up a whole new sort of window to it it's it's seeing the lbjs and getting them in the hand and you know seeing the id features and all of the sticklers um like this morning we've you know caught the nediki and the croaking and the lazy sticklers and just seeing them up close and but oh there's there's favorites from the kingfishers and the, the, the pretty ones the beaters and and, and I know we're at Cumberland this weekend. I mean, we, if you haven't been at Cumberland, this place is spectacular. But what would you say is, is your your number one burning spot? You know, if you could, if you ha- if you if you were able, if we went in the middle of all this crazy season, you were able to travel anywhere and do some burning. Where would you be traveling? Gosh, well, this is certainly one of them. It's we haven't been able to get up here this year, so it was as soon as they opened up. It's we first first people into the rooms again. So this is a definite highlight, and then Zululand. I spent a lot of time doing the ringing and birding up in Zululand. Um, the Pinda area, Mpulosi Shishu, uh, up into Tembe. That's always fantastic. Mm. Okay, so we, let's, let's chat about this uh, ringing. We came here, we arrived here. There were a whole lot of nets along the sides, like <laughs> meters and meters of nets. Um, and you're sitting out like there's a box with a whole little rings in, pliers, uh, a scale, some uh, paperwork. So how does the ringing process look? So you arrive here, what does a day of ringing look like um, on, uh, on a practical level? All right, so it's the, um, firstly important is to get the landowner's permission. Um, so there was a, they've been ringing here for probably about 15 years through the university in Peter Marysburg. Um, and then a friend of mine was ringing here, but he's left the area, so I took over the site. Um, so firstly, getting the permission and then getting to know the area a bit, to choose your site. So the habitats, um, try and sample the different habitats. Um, so you get here, first thing is to see where you're going to put the nets, the vegetation. Um, as you can see, quite a few thorn trees and things, you're, you don't want to get your nets damaged. And um, So select the sites, and then you know you start putting up the nets. It's a lot of people will put the nets up early in the morning before you do your ringing session. Um, we tend to do it where we can the afternoon before. Um, it just allows us the time to, to put up as many nets as we want and see what you're doing properly. Um, so we'll put the nets up, um, depending if it's just myself, I'll put up fewer nets. Because uh, you want to put up the number of nets that you can manage and the number of birds you're getting in the area. Just just, just before coming there, you know, as look, when I look to the nets, they... Not, they don't look that easy to put up. How do you actually put these nets up? So it's um, usually it's myself and Lara, who's also a trained um, ringer. Uh, it helps having two people. Um, so you, you you start, you put the stake in the ground, you put a pole up, then you put a, the loops from the net onto the pole, and then you'll unravel the nets. You've got your own way of folding it up so they don't get knotted. And one person stays that side, and you unravel it, hammer in the stake the other side, and you get to the right length. The nets on there are between, so I've got 12, 15 and 18 meter nets. And I think today we've got up about close to three to 400 meters. Sure. Um, so it's a lot of nets, um, but we know we're not going to get the huge numbers like we would at, say, Sanfi Stanger. Um, here we might get anything 30 to 60 birds. So it's a manageable number that we can process before it gets too hot or too windy. And Because um, again, our priority is the um, safety of the birds that no harm comes to them okay then beyond so you put the nets up what happens beyond that there now so um because we do it in the afternoon before we put the nets up and then we um put the poles right up high and we furl the nets we close the nets up so nothing gets caught overnight um and then in the morning when we come out we come before it gets light um so the birds don't know the nets are there 
this morning, quarter past five, we started opening up and then the nets are all open. So once the birds start their morning chorus and starting to get active, then we'll, they'll start flying into the nest. And then, and then I saw there's a whole lot of information you gather here. So, so now you get the you get the birds out the nets. Um, just talk us. You were you were explaining how you know you're sp explaining when the birds in the net. You know how do you get the bird out? Because you know, let me actually jump. Let me jump to this first because there might be people who actually have this this question straight away. You know, for some people, ringing is a little bit controversial, and I know there's 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 even people in in, in conservation who are just against ringing. They just they're not yeah. for it. They talk about the hard harms the birds you know what would you say to those people who talk about the harm that this does i mean you know like if, if i look from an outsider's perspective in the birds in the, in the net they they have this like you know they, it's like a different call they're like they're not they're not happy to be in there you know what would you be your 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 thoughts around that yeah i mean certainly it's there's is some stress involved they, they don't want to be caught um but they are but as you've seen from the nets they're very soft nets mm. there's no harm done to the birds in the nets we check the nets regularly, again, depending on the weather. You don't want to do it in particularly windy conditions, hot or rainy. Um, so you check the nets regularly, first of all. You, there's, you get a lot of training in getting the birds out the net. That's the trickiest part of the bird ringing. So you will be assessed by two or three ringers before you are found competent. Um, and it's not just about being able to do it. It's how you handle the birds. You know, you take that care with them. Um, you know, all birds are different, whether you're doing a little nediki at 9 grams or you're doing a, you know, a raptor or a taraka or something like that. So in terms of the birds, um, you very rarely get a bird um, injured. It's, I'd say probably the highest risk would be from other predators, raptors, things like mongoose, um, Virgil's creakle are particularly, you know, if they're around, you want to be checking the nets regularly and... Um, but uh, yeah, in terms of birds getting injured in the nets, very unlikely. Um, we don't let anybody just come and help get the birds out the mm. net. It needs to be somebody who's got the training or somebody that you are in the process of training and you hands-on supervise it. Um, there's a whole technique behind it and how you start. You find the exposed belly and the legs. You start with the legs and so on. You work your way through it. Um, you've got to have a lot of patience to be able to do it properly. Um, you don't want to rush it or anything like that. Um, but you know, from doing the ringing in places over time, you keep coming back. You're catching those same birds again, birds that have got rings on them. Um, if they were stressed or injured, you know, you wouldn't be catching those birds again. Um, and as we've seen today, releasing the birds, they'll often you let them go here and they fly straight to the closest tree. Mm -hmm. They're not often a panic or um, some species make more noise than other species. Um, that's just the nature of them. They'll squawk, and so again, in the training, they advise you to get at least 50 different species and up to 500 birds, because you want to experience handling birds with the different natures. So whether they're aggressive or they're particularly noisy, and others are more fragile. Whether it's um, small sunbirds, um, that sort of thing, you've got to be particularly careful. Um, yeah. So I think from that point of view, you know, that we do catch them again. They don't move out of the area to other you know, territorial birds in particular, uh, we catch birds almost every time we come back to a site. Um, and that could be over a five, six, seven year period. Um, so we wouldn't find that, we wouldn't get that um, data back catching them over and over if they were stressed. Or, and you wouldn't do it you know, every day. You would, you know, we'll, every two, three months they would like that. Even that would be quite often to come back to the same site. Um, so we 
quarter of the constant effort cycle you keep coming back because you want to get that data as well. I know Andrew Pickle spoke about the thickball weaver, and he says as they can nip you. So what is, you know, what are the what are the more difficult and fasty birds to you? Which which bird, you know, you love birds, or which birds do you kind of dread? I noticed earlier you guys were kind of fighting about certain birds. Like now you handle that one there. Which which birds are a little bit faster? Um, certainly the thickball weaver is one of the notorious ones. Um, the shrike family, so the fistball. Um, probably one of my least favorite. Favorite in the way of the bird it is, but in handling it um, would be the grey-headed bushrock that can take a bit of skin off when it attacks the fingers. But um, I'd say it's more when you're getting the birds out the net where you, you might take a bite or two. Mm. During the actual ringing process, there's no need to get bitten. The way you're carefully holding it, you generally don't get bitten. But I like to get a record of each um, species at a site. Um, some people then again are against actually holding the birds for longer than need be. But, you know, with ringing, you've also got to look at it from another point of view as the educational side, mm. which is very important. Um, a lot of the areas that we do it, whether it's just kids and families that come and join, or um, local people at the, outside the reserves, and to actually bring those kids in and let them see the birds up close, and even to release the birds, like we each had a chance to release the birds today. It's quite a special experience mm. to hold that bird, see it up close, and let it go free. Mm. And to see that these birds, they're not injured, um, they might call a distress call and that, but once they're gone, they, you can literally see them starting their day again mm. and start feeding immediately. Um, so from an education point of view, I find it personally worthwhile um, just to have a look at those birds, let people see them, and get that photograph. You know, whenever we bring at a site like this, we always supply a summary of the birds we've got, the data, as well as um, a photograph of every species. Mm. And they'll often use that on websites um, for promotional material um, and just awareness it's, um, that there's some research going on. And you know, all that, all that information is going back to UCT, to the University of Cape Town. And that's available for researchers, students to use in various projects. It's in our, on our Roberts app. And we have just launched the Birding Life YouTube account. We are looking forward to proudly showcasing Southern Africa's best birds, birding spots, and even the fascinating people that make up the world of birding. We already have two videos that have been posted, which showcase two of our favorite KZN birding spots. We'll post a link to the YouTube channel in the comment section of this podcast. Be sure to subscribe and hit the notification bell to make sure you don't miss out on any of the great content that we'll be posting. We were chatting earlier, so like I said, there's a whole lot of, um, for those who are on the podcast, there's a whole lot of papers and little cool toolbox here. It's like a fly fishing box. <laughs> so, yeah, what happens? So the bird cut, you've got the bird out the, out, out the net, and you put it in like a little bag, um, you bring a chair, what what, what does the process look like, the administration part of it? What does that look like? All right, so once we get it out the net, importantly, you put them each into their own bags. And the bags, they're just cotton bags. They're breathable. The birds actually are very relaxed and calm when they're in the bags. Um, and then we'll, you know, start with each bird. First thing you do is get the ring on the bird. They do occasionally escape, and you want to have that ring on. Um, and then from there, you start taking the measurements. We take weight. We measure the wing, the tail, the head and bill, the bill length, um, the malt, you can, uh, on the primaries, um, head malt, um, yeah, if, if there's a brood patch, if they're breeding, 
Um, and then, you know, it depends. Sometimes there are other projects that people are working on um, where blood samples are requested and things, but that you can only do with the necessary training and permits. It's not something that we would just do here. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's... And then all that information, as I was saying, it goes into an Excel spreadsheet. So this week we'll process this, and then we upload it onto the UCT website, and it's available to you know other ringers or researchers. And then in terms of the actual rings, we're having a look at the rings. You showed me the rings earlier. Um, what information is actually contained in the ring? So when somebody looks at that ring, what, what exactly is on the ring? So if um, the pub member of the public finds a ring, um, it says on the ring here, um, SAF Ring, which is the organization at um, University of Cape Town that um, administers the ringing. Um, it says inform SAF Ring, and then it's got the unique uh, number on the ring. Each There's all different ring sizes. They'll have a different um, sequence of letters and numbers on it. And that's the number that you should take down accurately, and then you submit that to SAF Ring. Um, you can just you know, Google it, and the contact details of oh. SAF Ring would come up. And it's that information that would get back. And say one of our birds was um, found, maybe flown into a window or cats caught it or something like that. Um, we'll get an email from um, UCT telling us, you know, what happened to this bird or where it was found. Um, yeah. And then, and then, you know, for members of the public, you know, we were speaking about this earlier, like, you know, for those who are overseas, we have a, a docker bulbul, which is an incredibly common bird. If a member of the public, you know, you spoke about, you know, member of the public sees a bird that has been, has, has ringing in it. And, and just you know, for the sake of the overseas um, listening public, you know, I know they call this banding overseas, just in case you're wondering what ringing is. You, you, you speak about submitting the data to, to, to Safring and that type of thing. But, you know, would, would, is there value in just the normal birds or would it just be certain species? You know, what, what you know, do you, every time you see a ring, do you submit it or is it just certain birds? Yes, no, all birds. Um, we don't selectively choose the birds which we take out of the nets. Well, we want to get a sample of the birds in the area. So depending again on how, how many of us are ringing, um, how many birds we can process comfortably and that the birds aren't kept in the bags or, you know, for too long. Um, yeah, that's, we would process those and mm. but all the species it's whether it's a common bulbul whether it's a you know one of the more rarer birds that's not seen in the area we would do them all and get a cross-section you know the birds vary from region to region their geographical mm. variances and their subspecies and so they're, they're all important and we want that the data back on mm. recaptures across the board what well, well you speak about the data um what role do you feel that this information plays in conservation you know You've, you're speaking about, I mean, how, how many years have you been doing this for now? Uh, ten years I've been doing it. Ten years. So, yeah. so you know, how's, how, how, how does the data from ringing and, or banding birds, how does that actually help in terms of conservation? Well, first of all, it's um, a record of the, the species in the area. Um, certainly, I've learned in the, more in the forested areas that we're catching species that people don't have on the bird list for that mm. area. Um, so that's, that's the first thing. Are we learning, uh, how long do birds live? The different sizes, yeah. different species, different families. We don't know exactly how long all these different birds live and in different areas. So um, that's an important part of it. And then obviously by putting the rings on, it's the movement of the birds. Uh, you've got your resident, your territorial birds that will stay. Do they stay in one territory? Do they maintain their territory throughout their life? Or do they move one kilometer away, ten kilometers away? And that's the information we're getting back. Um, an example would be we ring crowned hornbill chicks in Westville. Somebody's got a nest box up in the garden and each year in December, they give us a call, we go through and, 
in Ringet this week, um, I got an email from Saprin to say one of those chicks has now been found in Kloof. Hmm. So those birds are spreading out. It's that, that, that one little nest box is actually producing three or four chicks a year, which is, you know, repopulating that area. Um, yeah, so those are the most important things on it. And um, as you'll know, as birders know, it's very hard to identify some of the mm. um, LBJs, as we call them. Um, harder to identify birds and some of it's only by ring si by the sizes of wing measurements or it can be the shape of the feathers in the primary uh, mm. feathers uh, where there's a notch and which position um, for some of the migratory warblers um, so yeah it helps from identification um, and then you know for me as I've mentioned earlier education is a big part of it as well and you, you know you, you spoke about that what what is this obviously it's like quite a an expensive um, thing to do, <laughs> quite an expensive way to, in terms of conservation. You know, you know, how do you, how do you, what, what sort of costs are you looking to get involved in this? And you know, from your side, how do you cover these these costs? Is there ways that you cover these costs? Um, for somebody who's wanting to become a bird ringer, there is um, the initial setup costs. Um, a lot of it you can make on your own, whether it's the the poles, the stakes. That sort of thing, you can just buy at your local hardware and yeah. get them cut up and make it. The expense comes in. The rings aren't particularly expensive. They sort of vary between a one rand to three rand or five rand a piece for the bigger rings. Um, but you do need, you have to get all the ring sizes. It's no good catching birds. You've only got a sample of the rings. You need all of it. Um, and those you can only uh, order once you are a certified licensed ringer. Mm. Um, member of the public can't just go and order rings from from Saturn. and they're the only people you can order those from in Southern Africa. So it's very controlled from that point of view. And the same with the nets; you can't just go out and buy the nets. Um, unfortunately, we have to import them, so that is probably the, the most expensive part of it. Um, so personally, I'll get my nets through um, Ecotones in Poland. We used to have a supplier in South Africa, but no longer. Um, so those can add up, but with the exchange rates, you're probably looking at uh, fifteen hundred to two thousand rand a net. Sure. Um, how many meters would that be? The nets vary. You can get from six meters up to oh, I think it's twenty-one meters. Sure. Um, and you want a sort of a cross section of nets as well to wind your way through trees and so on. And um, so that is an expensive part of it. Um, a lot of areas you ring, you know, you take care of your nets. You don't put them up next to thorn trees. You can see the nets behind us. Um, you do have damage to the net sometimes with animals. Again, if you ring in reserves like this, you might have encounters with zebra or kudu, um, giraffe. Um, so yeah, you do need to replace the net every now and then. Um, but they, they can last a number of years. And then, and then in terms of, I know birding is one of the fastest growing hobbies in the world, but you know, ringing, you know, are there, are there people coming through and ringing? How, how strong is ringing at the moment, in, especially let's, let's in the Southern African context? Are there new yeah. people coming through? You know, what does is, what is the future look like for ringing? We certainly could do with more ringers um, around the country or around the region, Southern Africa. I'd say at the moment there's probably only 100 or so active ringers. Sure. And some of those ringers might only be submitting 50, 100 birds a year. Um, so the more ringers you can get, the better. Um, to be spread out because you, you want to see where these birds are going. Mm. Um, so I would, I, we could certainly do with more ringers mm. coming through. It does uh, take a bit of effort and, and time to do the setup and the planning and the data capturing, and but it's it's one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. 
to see the the birds up close and um, getting to know them so well like that but also um, for other people um, seeing people join us do it like you said it some people find it a bit controversial but then when you see the wonder in people's faces and the pleasure they get out of seeing these birds up close and actually being able to touch it or um, release them see them going free it's it's very special it's it's one of probably the thing I enjoy the most is sharing it with other people and actually showing them what it's all about um, yeah and, then, and let's talk about it. someone listening to this and this might be very different overseas to South Africa but let's look from a southern African perspective somebody says yeah this is something they'd like to get involved in what would that process look like so they listen to this and they'd like to get involved how would they move from you know just having an interest in doing this to actually qualifying to be able to do this themselves all right so the first thing you got to do is find the licensed ringer in your area that um, you could that they're happy for you to join them and then you you know you come out and you spend your time with them because um, you've got to be found competent in all areas it's not just the physical handling of the birds it's it's with the equipment it's the accuracy with the data you've, you've, you've got to get the whole spectrum of it um, so you would find a person that you can do your ringing with and the guideline 50 different species 500 birds that you should have ringed with another ringer um, but again the, the ringers that you are training with they will assess your competency as you're going along you might find somebody doesn't have the patience or the um, you know you've got to be gentle with the birds but mm. you've also got to be firm with the birds if that makes sense it's, um, so you would you'd spend that time it's the net the putting up the nets can be tricky so you you know all of us the ringers have our own systems that work for us and how we do it which poles we use and um, so you know it's, it's time it's spending time out there it's different ringing a little sunbird a collared sunbird at say eight or nine grams to ringing a, a terraco or mm. a dove even um, you, you've got to you pick up your techniques on each of the different species as you go along and you know some of the birds do um, make quite a bit of noise and that can stress some people out you think oh you're hurting it but there's no harm coming to it mm. it's just voicing its displeasure of being held um, so yeah it takes time um, depending of course how regularly that the person is um, that you're training with goes out um, it can take a year or two to get that training done um, but if I'm training somebody it's not just me that will then approve them it would be a recommendation through to Safring mm. and then ideally another two or three ringers to be able to assess that person separately and to see if they find them competent as well and then it's um, getting out there and yeah no, James I really appreciate thanks for your time I really appreciate you. you being on the show it's been good chatting to you and yeah, I look forward to you know coming and doing this again in the future. So it was a lot of fun. Thanks Excellent. so much. Yeah, we look forward to sharing it again and time to go and check the nest again. We are proud to be working in association with Wild Books to help get all the best birding resources into your hands at a great price. If you would like to support the Birding Life Project and the resources that we are putting out, please click on the link in either the comment section of this podcast or in our social media posts. Your support helps us to improve and hopefully make a bigger impact. Be sure to head over to our website, www.thebirdinglife.com and check out all the exciting resources that we have on our website, including our exciting forum section to connect you with the world of birding, birders, and exciting birds out there. Do not forget to follow The Birding Life on Instagram and Facebook. We really appreciate everyone that takes the time to interact with these accounts. 
be sure to check out Birdlasser and download the app on either iOS or Android and keep a laughless while playing your part in social conservation. As well as Swarovski Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars and spotting scopes. So until next time, be blessed and happy birding.